0: And you'll push yours, and we'll be live in just a couple of seconds. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, my guest today is Dr. Susanna Bazzoni. She's one of the many wonderful doctors from Love Life Telehealth. She'll tell you all about that, how you can get an appointment but first, we want to get to know her a little bit. I'm meeting her for the first time, and please welcome her to the show. I think I've had almost all the Love Life doctors on now.
1: Exciting. It's a great, it's a most amazing team. I'm so honored to be part of it.
0: Yeah, well, you weren't at the Plantrition Conference, but a bunch of your colleagues were, and they took me under their wing, and I sat with, them. there was eat like five or six of them. They're just all awesome. That's all I can say. I know. I saw great pictures of you with napkin tricks. <laughs> okay, good. Well, maybe you'll come next year, you know? Yes, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. So who are you and how did you get to be plant based and work at Love Life Telehealth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so I'm Susanna Bazzoni and I and I basically I grew up in a kind of Italian American background family. So Bazzoni is my is my um my father's name, who was from the Bronx. And my mother was actually from Tennessee, but um they met in New York where she was a professional dancer and, and then ended up moving down to Tennessee, right? So we didn't really have the real southern cultural background, but we grew up here. And you may or may not know that Tennessee is not known for its healthy nutrition. No, you're kidding. Yes, Yes, I know. So, So the South has the sweetest people, but we have the sweetest tea and we got all those grits and fried chicken and light fluffy biscuits and it does not serve us very well um in 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 our health journey however um yeah I didn't really grow up with that kind of background but I did grow up with a very kind of meat heavy diet though thankfully we had a lot of real foods and whole foods represented so there was always vegetables my dad made me hold my nose and eat your beets you know and your tomatoes and all that and so so there was a little bit of of good um nutritional focus there and And all through my life, I was an athlete and swam through college and, and did all that. And so I kind of felt like I knew about health when I went to medical school in terms of healthy living, because I had been an athlete and I was getting all my protein and, and doing what you do as, as an athlete, trying to get all that meat in and whatnot. And, um, and then I started working in Sonoma, California and, and when I was there, I was working in both the underserved kind of Latino community and I was working also in private practice. Um, and so I had a really good idea of the community there which is a wonderful community, but you had in the private practice, I had a lot of kind of wine sommeliers and, and really kind of professional wine people which is a lot, what a lot of people do. And then I worked in the Spanish speaking, predominantly Spanish speaking population um, which is really the migrant workers. And I started seeing, you know, it didn't really matter how much money you had or how much education you had, but there was a lot to be said for your built environment. And when they sprayed the grapes, everybody got allergies, you know, everybody got sick. And it really has to do a lot with the way we lived. And then some little angel, who to this day I don't know who he was, when I was starting to work as the director of wellness for the hospital, which was really kind of tying in the sick care system to the community and trying to help programs develop that were evidence based in in workplaces and in gyms that really had a little bit of, of evidence-based background. Someone said you should go to a lifestyle medicine conference. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> I have no idea. I've never heard of it. So I went down in San Diego and, and found lifestyle medicine and it just made everything made, make sense. You know, I had in the process before, um, I started this job and after residency residency, I became a yoga instructor. So all my patients already knew that I was vegetarian before I was vegetarian or before I was plant-based, um, and, and I still said stupid stuff, like, you know, we've got these teeth to eat meat, you know, and all that stuff. And, and, and so on this journey, however, I found that lifestyle medicine conference, thanks to this, um, guy who told me to go. And my life is in my practice has never been the same because I got to see those wonderful people like Esselstyn and, and, Ornish and Gregor and, and all, all of, um, the, really the pioneers and, um, and I'd really never looked back. And the first time they offered the lifestyle medicine certificate education. I took that. And and I really, it finally gave the power that I wanted to give to my patients. It gave me the education that I was always wanting and that patients would ask me. And I just didn't know the answers because I didn't know there was this huge body of evidence to show that we can, in fact, address, reverse, prevent, and even treat lifestyle uh, conditions, lifestyle-related conditions um, that we see every day. So in a nutshell. That's great. Was it difficult for you to make the switch? You know, it, it was, I say it was easy in the, in regards to meat because I had eaten so much meat because I thought I was supposed to, but I always felt so bad when I ate it. And it was like this lead thing in my stomach. So I was almost, I was so relieved, but dairy was a different story because I was eating literally like half a wheel of brie every night. I, and then wondering why I was constipated, you know, like like these, these things that you do. And this is just like the natural thing. I would have cottage cheese on my salads. I was having salads, right? But I just had all of this dairy yogurt for breakfast. It was infused in everything. And that was that was a pretty tough shift. And it certainly was tough for I had three kids when we made the shift. My youngest um, actually was so young, he never actually had any dairy growing up. But it was really hard for my daughter, my second child. And, um, and so that was Kind of a journey, but, but I just, I can't, you know, what you gain is so much more than what you give up to have a good functioning gut makes all the difference, <laughs> you know, and to really engage in your life. So how old were your kids at the time of the switch? So when we went, you know, first we kind of got rid of the meat, um and then the dairy was probably kind of phase two. And I would say that my son, he, when we went full on, he was one. And so my kids were one, three and five. So I would imagine it was easy for the
0: one-year-old, right? Because
1: totally, yes, yes, and he would forget. see see meat and be like, "What's the you know?" When we'd go to someone else's house and then someone he would try something, he'd be like, "What's this brown stuff? That's gross." But it but it already was difficult for the three-year-old, like the taste it war- was. It was, and know that like that's when we really started the journey. So we got it out, but she was constantly and and I don't know second-born girls, man serious stuff there but but she was it was so hard because she was already so picky even at that age um, it was kind of how she showed her power so that was really a kind of a tough one even at the age of three um, just because trying to get her to eat something else because that was so much of her diet before that's interesting
0: how old are they now
1: they are 8 10 and 12 and is it easier now it is. It's a lot easier. You know, it, it yes and no. You know, when they go to school and they see all the stuff that their friends are eating, it becomes a kind of new struggle. But then they have, you know, and, and I've had to shift my approach a little bit from like very intense to, okay, let's, let's chill. Let's make your own decisions here. And now that they, and, and giving them a little of their power back has been really important in that so that they can then come to me and say, you know, and, and, and so I'm not, I am not one that while we only eat whole food plant-based at home, I, I don't dictate what they eat when we go out or when, when they go to a birthday party or whatever, but, but I just kind of watch and pray. <laughs>
0: Do they ever notice though, are they old enough to notice that they might feel a little bit differently when they start getting into some of that? Cause that, that's what I hear from parents that like you, they don't, they don't manage them outside because you can't after a certain point, but sometimes the kids themselves like, mommy, I, I want to eat your food. This didn't feel so good. Yeah. Well,
1: they come home and they'll say, you know, I have a tummy ache and I go, wow, well, I wonder what you ate today. You know, just trying to kind of like put that and say, hmm, what curious and what did you eat? Oh, it's Halloween. <laughs> Oh, speaking of Halloween, what are you going to do for Halloween? Well, actually, I am going to the Lifestyle Medicine Conference in Denver, <laughs> so it's my favorite holiday to skip, actually. I never have skipped it before, and usually what we do, and what I hope my husband will do, is, is we they dress up, and they do the trick-or-treating, and they do the whole thing, and they're allowed to eat some some stuff on the day of and then we get rid of the rest of it and so that's kind of how we do it and they're in the place where after my daughter's first Halloween where she really went all out and they had a like party at school and she literally ate so much she threw up then then she recognized that she did not want to do that anymore so she is actually really quite wise in the ways of limiting that that intense garbage um my sons however they're a different story so we really actually have to say okay you can take these pieces pieces within some realistic parameters. And then we're going to get rid of the rest. And they're like, okay, because it's, it's been long enough that they kind of have, have that down. You think candy's the biggest
0: driver for kids, or do some of them would prefer maybe and like toys and stickers? Because I'm at, I'm at a loss. This is the first time in my life I've lived in a place with trick-or-treaters. I've always either lived in an apartment building where like it was you couldn't get in anyway, or yeah. a 55 and over community where there was no kids. And now that's all there are. And I'm thinking, what do I do? Because I'm not going to give them some. I I might compromise and giving them sugar, but I'm not going to buy something not vegan. But like, would they like a dollar
1: or a lottery ticket? Or what what do kids like? Yeah, a lottery ticket. That's a good idea. You know, it's and I because it's we don't live anywhere where where we trick or treat. However, I get really excited. There's there, I that we always go to this one house and she gives these like, you know, like plastic spiders and and you know, and that, that kind of stuff. And they actually really like that. I mean, you know, and it's much better. One time when they were in school, I wrote a note um, that basically went to the to the uh, principal and then he sent it out to the whole school. And it was like, can we celebrate birthdays? with things like that with stickers with rewards with treats with with slinkies with you know things like that and and it was it was really overall very well received um but it is interesting because when I would go and bring when when there was times when you bring cupcakes and those things I would bring like you know forks over knives pumpkin muffins with their chocolate chips (laughs) and it was so funny the older they got they would look at me like what's that oh my god that's (laughs) hilarious but your is your husband on board Oh, absolutely. He has. And that's been a hard, hard shift. He's, he's British kind of like sausage and potato raised. And so, so it is real. And and then amazingly, he went through this kind of, you know, yeah, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this together. And that's what we did at home. Um, But then he'd go out and he'd eat all the garbage and and he said, well, I don't want to be rude. Oh, that's (laughs) funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite something we have. I don't know if you've heard of alpha-gal, which is a a tick-borne illness that makes you allergic to mammalian products. Um, I I don't know if you've heard of that. Vaccinate to actually give it to people. Well, this is a fascinating thing, but actually I was really, I mean, while this is for many people, they get very um, upset about it. I've had a lot of patients, what do I do? And I'm like, what do you do? This is one of the best things that could have happened to, you to redirect your health destiny. I, this is really powerful. Um, if we look at it in that, in that way, and my husband actually got it and we, I don't know how long he would had it, but then he went and he ate with someone else. And then he broke out in hives and full body hives four hours later. And I was like, Oh, I bet you got out. Cause we have a lot of those, there's lone star ticks around here. And um, indeed he did. So, so that kind of got out the rest of those little cheat days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, that's so interesting. Have you been able to recreate any of your favorite traditional um, uh, Italian favorite dishes in, in in a more healthful manner?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we do. I have to say, what well, we do a lot more these days. We do a lot of curry and we do a lot of Moroccan. I just love. I love those flavors. Um, and so, in regards to Italian, I don't eat a lot of pasta, and I'll do bean based pastas. But I love making, you know, bolognese with lentils and and that and those kind of things. And my kids love. Um, they eat pasta all the time. And what we do, we'll make a um, a pesto that is really broccoli, kale, um, nutritional yeast. Uh, walnuts and, um, and then a lot of basil. And so, so kind of that is, it's just really beefing it up. And then it's, it's, it's you know, not with the um, all the cheese and all those other things, but it's just um, the kids love it. And it's really a big, you know, a nice one to have for, I've, I've, that's something I'll serve to kids when they come over who not are not necessarily plant-based and they like that a lot um but yeah we don't I don't do as much of the Italian cooking actually now that you say that as we did once so no gnocchi or calzone or no no I know but I should really make a calzone so that could be calzones. calzone I love that I love I used to love calzone oh my god that was like my favorite I like it better than pizza because it was just like I don't know It was just so
0: encased I know. I love it. It was like, it it wasn't as messy. I used to, I used to, when I went to the University of Pennsylvania, they, they, I just, I loved it. I loved uh, that so much. So you have a presentation for us today. Tell us a little bit about it. I, I, you told me of this little feature. So guys get out your phones because there's going to be a little QR code. We're going to be able to take a
1: poll. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to go ahead and start sharing this. Hopefully we will see um, that this will work. I hope. Yes, that works. And- okay. okay. Yeah. So so I kind of wrote this because I just felt like you know I work with with Love Life Telehealth and this incredible team and and whereas before I was working predominantly and a lot with with in Tennessee with with our major medical system one of our um, major medical systems in in Chattanooga and and it was kind of coming from this end. I'm diabetic, I'm hypertensive, I'm you know these things. And then and then with Love Life Telehealth, I see a lot of people still there, but I also see a lot of people that are really working so hard on their nutrition and they're they're eating whole food plant-based, salt oil sugar free and they're really doing what they think is everything right, but they're just not seeing the results that they want to see. And, and I get these questions a lot, but I, I see all these people talking about these incredible stories they had. Why am I not getting those results? And so this is really um, geared towards those people and in hopes of really giving some, some more power around this whole conversation. And so um, you want me to go ahead and dive in? Absolutely. All right. So I'd love to just get grounded before we start and and to really kind of feel your feet on the ground and take a deep breath in through your nose. And a second inhale through your nose. And then exhale out your mouth longer than your inhale. Relaxing shoulder blades and jaw. And I want you to ask yourself as you do two more breaths like that, am I nourished? And take a deep breath in through your nose. Second inhale through your nose. And then exhale out your mouth, maybe a count of six. And when you ask that, not just around the food, am I nourished, but am I nourished in my life? In my body, soul, spirit, inhale through the nose. Second inhale through the nose. And then exhale out your mouth. Relaxing your eyelids, your jaw, your shoulder blades, and feeling your feet connected. And we're going to talk more to that, am I nourished, in multiple realms throughout this conversation. But we'll start with this kind of basic question of what's the difference between health and well-being? And so maybe think, do you think you could be healthy but not have a sense of well-being? You might say, Oh yeah, right? How many people might go to the doctor and have no formal diagnosis, but really not have a sense of overall well being? But then ask that the opposite way. Can I have well being but not have my health? Hmm. So that's a little trickier, right? And you think, well, yes, that's harder if we're really struggling with health concerns, but not impossible. I mean, I've seen people on their deathbed that certainly are not optimizing their health per se, but seem to have, anyway, this incredible sense of peace and well being. And so I like to consider this as kind of a tree in the forest where health is one of the trees and the forest is well being or maybe vitality. And you think, you know, there's more than just health. In this forest, if you're going to have a healthy forest, what is part of that forest? Well, this work was done by Cigna and it looked at the work of vitality or could be said well-being. And what it talks about is these eight pillars of vitality. So not just physical health, but also there's so much more that's important to our sense of well-being, our spiritual health. Our emotional health is big and we'll talk a lot about that one. Our environmental health our social health. And I can't talk enough about this. Do we feel isolated or do we feel a sense of belonging? Because this makes such a huge difference to our sense of well-being and we don't tend to focus on this enough. Occupational health, our financial health. Financial health, it's not like the more money you have, the better vitality you have. No, but you do need to have your basic needs met. Because if you don't know when your next meal is going to come or if you don't have a roof over your head or you can't pay the rent, it's a lot harder to have a sense of well-being. And then intellectual health. And if you look at this, it's on this kind of foundation of relatedness, autonomy and competence. And I'll speak to those in just a minute. So you might kind of look at, well, where am I in this sense of well-being? Am I nourished? And so what I think it would take to get from health to vitality is a change in our understanding and experience of health that we have today. So this is really where you start thinking back at the last time you went to a Western doctor's office and think back to that, maybe last time you got a pap or a colonoscopy and ask yourself, did you feel none of the above, one of the above, two of the above, or all of the above? Did you feel a sense of power and ownership or what is called autonomy, right? Yeah, I'm getting this pap, I am owning this. I know that I am owning my own body. Did you feel a sense of mastery or competence? Like they give you a diagnosis and you know exactly what you need to do to master whatever this is. Yes, I've got this. I know what I need to do when I walk out this door with this diagnosis. And then three, do you feel connected and supported? That is a sense of relatedness that someone's on your team. And to vote for this, what you do is open your camera, and hover over the QR code. And when you do that, you'll see this link that will pop up automatically. And so you can see, okay, there's there's one vote there. And, and if you are not on this live or you can't get this to work, that's okay. But just to get an idea for yourself, name that for yourself, Where are you in that or where were you the last time you went to a physician's office? And I do this talk a fair amount or I ask this question a fair amount. And what I see is that, you know, most people really have one, maybe two at tops. Many all um, have none. And it's it's kind of sad when we think about it, but I'll tell you why it's sad. And so I'm going to move on from here, but do ask this question to yourself. And we've got one or none kind of leading the pack right now. And I ask you, might this relate to our current health trends? And if you need a little jog of your memory, what are our current health trends? Well, chronic diseases, right? We've all heard of them, we all know them very well. Sadly, because six out of every 10 adults in the United States have one chronic disease. Four out of 10 have two or more. And these chronic diseases are the leading drivers of our death and disability. The leading drivers of our nation's $4.1 trillion annual healthcare costs. So that's heart disease, our number one killer, cancer, our number two killer, chronic lung disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, diabetes, chronic kidney disease. We've all know someone with these, no doubt, so many of us are struggling with them ourselves, but something that they didn't mention here in the CDC and that we so often neglect to, to bring into the conversation about chronic conditions Our mental health conditions, because did you know that mental illness is more common than cancer, more common than diabetes, and more common than heart disease? And that having one chronic disease increases the likelihood of having a mental illness like depression or anxiety. But conversely, if we struggle with depression or even loneliness, we increase the likelihood of having other medical conditions. So going back to that, do I feel isolated or do I feel a sense of belonging? ask that question, because think back evolutionarily, what's the most dangerous thing that could have happened to us is to be extricated from our tribe, right? That's certain death. Oh my gosh, if I am alone, I will definitely be lunch for that lion, right? We know that, and our body still knows that, that if I feel lonely, which unfortunately affects about 60% of Americans today, Then my adrenal glands recognize that I'm in danger and I spike these stress responses. My sympathetic nervous system says, oh, I better be ready for that lion to pounce. Right. And it also increases inflammation because of the, the natural tendency for our body when it gets overstressed to be on guard. And so we'll talk more about that in a moment, but did you know that workers rating themselves with fair or poor mental health are more likely to be absent from work 12 times in a year as compared to only two and a half times if we don't rate our mental health that poorly? That results in almost $48 billion of lost productivity alone, and that doesn't even count the healthcare costs or the disability related to these mental health concerns. And it kind of brings us to this bigger picture of what do we do in our medical system? We chop you up into little bits, right? We say, you got a heart problem, you go to your heart doctor. You got a gut problem, you go to your GI doc. You got depression, you go to your shrink. You know, we take you into all these little bits and we fail to recognize how much our head, our mind, and our body, our soul, our spirit, all of these things are connected if we really want to be the finest version of ourselves and to get to that place of vitality. So now take yourself back to that doctor's office and think, what is required to manage chronic conditions or mental illness? What do I have to give you as a doctor working in the insurance system, which unfortunately I don't anymore, but if you go see a doctor that works in the insurance system, you have to have one thing before you leave that visit, before they can even sign your note, before they can write a prescription or even order labs on you, they have to give you one thing. And that one thing, is it ever hmm, a vital soul searching for purpose? Of course not. It's a diagnosis code, and a diagnosis code is almost always pathologic. It's saying and labeling you and possibly risking redefining your identity as something broken. You are diabetic, you are depressive you are degenerative disc disease, you are fill in the blank, right? Unfortunately, this truly risks us interacting with our universe as something broken. So now what do I do? I've just been told I'm diabetic. I walk out to my universe and I think, I was gonna plan my retirement trip, right? I was gonna go and celebrate my daughter's birthday party. How am I interacting with my universe now that I've been given a broken identity? And then take it a step further, How do we manage your identity, your diagnosis code? Well, unfortunately, we manage it with pills, right? Pills, 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 more pills, more pills, and maybe eventually insulin or some injections. But overall, while these pills sometimes are necessary, at at least in the short term and sometimes longer, um, we have to recognize, are these giving us power or are they giving us dependence, because these pills are not addressing the root drivers of why your blood pressure might be high or why you have one of these chronic conditions, right? It makes your blood pressure look better, but it's not addressing all the things that contribute to that blood pressure. And when your doctor gives you this pill, most of the time they're not telling you, You know, did you know that blood pressure actually goes down with age in environments that don't nudge these these inflammatory cascades and don't nudge Western living with the way we eat, the way we don't move and stress and all these things? Did you know that in rural Africa, blood pressure actually goes down with age? No, we don't know that. In fact, most doctors don't even know that. And so sadly, we risk not only redefining you as broken, but then giving you something that drives dependence because, you know, what do they say? You're going to be on these for possibly the rest of your life. And so is healthcare in this setting a culture of motivation? Well, the self-determination theory, which is what that kind of signa information is based on, it suggests that internal and external factors such as autonomy, power over my own body, such as competence, do I have the mastery, the skills that I need to address the problem at hand? And relatedness, do I feel connected? Those three things can either foster or thwart your motivation and your well-being. So how are we doing? Oh, not so good, right? Most of us rank about zero to one in terms of the answers on how we do in those three areas when we go to the doctor. And how does motivation possibly apply to health? Well, this article was published in 1993 in one of our most esteemed medical journals, the JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, and it talks about the actual causes of death in the United States. And you say, well, you just told me them, right? They're those chronic diseases. And yeah, they are. But what this did was dove a little bit deeper and said, you know, It's not the chronic diseases, it's what's driving the chronic diseases, and in this article, it really was a landmark article, and it showed in the famous words of Dr. David Katz what was truly driving what we're dying of, and that's what we do with our feet, our forks, and our fingers, right? Are we moving, what are we eating, and are we smoking? And these three things drove 80% of what truly drives these chronic diseases, You know, your genes put you at a certain threshold and depending on the environment where they find themselves, it can turn genes on or off. It can turn disease on or off. And so that drives 80%. But I want to approach this not with blame, but with power. Because there is so much power here, and also important to recognize that the behaviors that we do are not always completely in our control. Well, they are to some degree, but we do have to look at our built environment and recognize what's normal. Right. Because so many of us are swimming upstream in order to drive healthy behaviors, because if everybody eats the standard American diet and I try to eat a diet that's not that, then am I isolating myself? How can we get to a place where we can nudge behaviors towards health rather than disease? And so it's kind of like this. We've most of us heard that saying that health problems are like plants. You've got to get to the roots in order to prevent them from popping up again. But it's not just the roots, right? It's not just those behaviors. It's the soil that nudges the roots, if you will, that can nourish the roots to really allow your crops to prosper, if you will. And so what is in that soil? That's really the built environment. That's the community. That's the connection, right? If we live in a food desert and we don't have access to healthy food or we live in a food swamp and all we have is fast food restaurants, we're going to have to fight a bigger fight to get to that healthy nutrition. If we live in a place where we can't walk without getting hit on a car, hit by a car, then it's going to be a lot harder to walk gently through my neighborhood to be more active. And as we know how important movement is, just as a few examples. So diving back into those roots, though, what are those? Those are the foundation of lifestyle medicine. What do we eat? How can we move more, stress less, love and connect more, sleep well, and avoid excess toxins to address the roots? right, to both prevent, treat, and yes, even reverse chronic conditions. And these are basically the tools that give us that sense of mastery, going back to that self-determination theory. These are the tools that we should, that every person, regardless of zip code, regardless of where you live or what doctor you go to, should be offered in the medical office to give you the competence to reframe your health destiny. But you say, I am doing everything right. All of those things I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. I have the most beautiful diet, right? And I'm eating all the carrots and I'm doing, I'm waking up at five in the morning to go to the gym every day. And I'm just not getting the results that I want to see. Well, ask yourself, have you become a human doing? Are we taking a little bit of a moment to really sink in what we're doing, enjoy it and find joy and awe and beauty in this journey? So is there any moments of being that you have scheduled for in, that, in your day? And if you ask, well, where do I go from here if that is you and you're struggling to see the results despite really taking some active steps? Well, where to begin? Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. So begin at the beginning, reframe your identity away from the diagnosis code. And towards your most vital self, know your why, know why you get up in the morning. It's this, it's your icky guy. If you look at the longest female population in the world, Okinawa, and one of the longest male populations in the world, we really see in the blue, in the blue zone research that these people, they can define why they get up in the morning. That's your icky guy. And if we have lost sight of that, we need to reconnect with it and recognize that it's different now than it was certainly before COVID. And certainly before your kids were in college, when your kids were born, when you had a different job, wherever you are in your life, whatever you've been through can change this. And we need to reconnect to our why, what matters most to us right now in this moment, if we really want to make this success and make habits that really can we can see the benefits. And so this is how I approach patients, which is really to address what matters most to you, because so often they come into the door with health as the end point. Right. I just had this diagnosis. I am diabetic or my blood pressure is high or I've got cancer or whatever their diagnosis is. And that ends their conversation, because every time in in the Western world that they've gone to the doctor, that's their diagnosis. That is that defines them. Right. And no one is asking the further steps from there. But we have to recognize that health is not the end point. Yes, health is important, but the reason it's important is because it's a stepping stone to get you towards the most vital version of yourself to do what you and only you can do on this planet. And that is so pivotal because you are not valued by your number on the scale, God forbid, or by your systolic blood pressure, right? And you look at the last days of life here on this planet, what you will not say is, I just wish my systolic blood pressure had been less than 120 it's not going to happen, right? You're going to say, gosh, I wish I'd been my authentic self. I wish I had spent the time with the people that matter most with me, I, uh, to me, that I have done the things that really I find awe, joy, and beauty from in my life. And then you have something truly telling you what is a reward in your life right? Because the endpoint and your value is not defined by the numbers that we so often put as your value in the Western world. And we clearly see based on best evidence that our health is driven by our lifestyle, by those six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And then where you go from there really depends on what you're ready to do, right? Not what I'm telling you to do, but what you're ready to do. So you can build your confidence and move one step at a time with your why in mind. And then through this whole journey, we can shift the focus away from the why not and towards the why, and we will get farther, better, and we will enjoy it more and do what matters most to us. And that in itself is fulfilling. If we live with purpose, for purpose, we can add as much as eight years of vital life. And that's pretty cool, right? Adding years to your life, life to your years. So the goal is that we can interact with our universe as vibrant souls, And so then the next step is, yes, ask what you're ready to do. And when you ask that, just take a little bit of a curious note. If you know what to do, but you're not doing it, where is the gap? Because in that gap, there is often opportunity. And so often we look at it as obstacle right? But I want you to start looking at it as something that perhaps we can see as opportunity and say, well, what is the difference? Well, sometimes it's that I've lost my purpose now, and I need to reconnect to it. Or sometimes it's that I'm overstressed or underslept. These are huge, huge. And we'll talk more about both of these things. But we know that if you are overstressed or underslept, you're less likely to make healthy decisions. And there's a whole lot of other things that go that make, that make the decisions that you do make, harder to, to reach the outcomes you're looking for, if you will. And then finally community. And we'll talk more about that because what does your community do? Do you go out and drink beer and bowl or do we go on a hike and have a healthy picnic? You know, there are things that we do that are part of our regular routine and how can we connect and unite around healthy decisions that nudge us closer to the finest versions of ourselves. And so let's speak a little bit more to stress and what happens to stress in our body. Because if we perceive danger, then it's managed with our autonomic nervous system in our body. And this autonomic nervous system is split into two branches, the fight and flight and the rest and digest. And so that fight and flight is basically your gas pedal. It's also known as your sympathetic nervous system. I am ready, I see a lion, I either have to run away or I have to fight this thing. And then we have the opposing or better stated balancing rest and digest or parasympathetic nervous system. And notice for a moment where you are in that balance, right? Because where I see most patients in this 21st century, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm fighting and flighting all the time. And where is my rest and digest? I can't sleep. I have irritable bowel syndrome. I've got chronic diarrhea. I've got bloating. I've got all of these concerns. Um, And so what can we do when we look at this? Well, what do we often do? Well, I'm not sleeping well, so I drink more coffee. Right. And then I'm pushing this a little bit more out of balance with all of those steps. And so if I can see this with compassion and a little bit of distance and I say, maybe I should not drink the coffee and I could drink some chamomile tea or I could go on a walk or I could really do a meditation or something and bring this more into balance and see what happens. But only if we look at that, not from criticism, but with compassion and distance, can we begin to see where the opportunities lie. And when we talk more about stress, it's really important to recognize that not all stress is bad. Yes, we have kind of poo-pooed cortisol, that it is like the bad, bad, bad hormone, right? And really recognize that not a single person that's listening to this would ever have survived the birthing process had it not been for our amazing stress response, that sympathetic nervous system. And if you look at this performance graph, what you see is that, you know what, if we really want to perform to our optimum, a little bit of stress is necessary. If I have too little stress, well, let's take an example. When was the last time you had nothing on your to-do list? The last time you had no deadlines and what were you doing? You were sitting there on the couch, maybe binge eating, you know, I might say Cheetos, but maybe it's some like, Uh, you know, other health-promoting, fiber-rich snack that we're not eating with intention or mindfulness, and we're binge-watching Netflix. And are you asking yourself, yes, I am on the journey towards my finest self right here in this moment on the couch. Well, of course you're not, right? We all need a little bit of a kick in the butt. We all need a little bit of a deadline or some struggle. And I would go so far as to say is nothing worth having, nothing truly of value and meaning happens without a little bit of struggle. So we need a little bit of stress to get us into that optimum stress, optimum performance level. But the problems happen when we have too much stress, too extreme, we're exhausted. We have anxiety, panic, anger, then potentially breakdown. And that's where we tend to see more health problems, right? Because we see that chronic stress is associated with a lot of health problems, Think of it in the example of fighting that lion. What do I need to do? I need to increase my blood pressure so I can get oxygen to my brain and muscles. I need to increase my clotting reaction because if I get bit by this lion, I don't want to bleed out. I need to increase my sugar so I can fuel the muscles so I can run away from this lion And what do we see? Well, we see high blood pressure, right? We see an increased risk of clotting or heart attack or stroke. We see increased risk of diabetes. And you go back to all those chronic conditions that with an imbalanced overdrive of stress response are gonna be more likely, right? And then take it another step. Well, what do I see if uh, if I'm fighting a lion? I'm not gonna optimize my metabolism at that moment right? I'm not going to really optimize my fertility or any of my other hormones. I got to shift away from that and direct toward all my energy towards running or fleeing this thing, right? And we also see that health effects of stress, if we have extreme stress, we're more likely to get recurrent exacerbations of previous conditions. So has anybody ever had cold sores? Has anybody ever had eczema? Right In times of high stress, these things are are bothering us more than ever. And that's true of heart disease, of, of other conditions like cancer, right? We're more likely to have recurrent conditions, recurrent events in the face of extreme stress. And so going back to those hormones, right? if you meet your endocrine system you recognize oh my gosh this is really complicated and if i have this overwhelming stress response i've got this overwhelming cortisol going all over the place and yes it's good when it's in balance but this regulates all of our other endocrine system hormones like i mentioned your thyroid your 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 sex hormones and so on and it begins to look a little bit like this right because these interplays if if i'm overwhelmed by stress then everything starts down regulating in terms of me getting to my most vital self what does that look like well again if i have high or prolonged amounts of stress i'm going to down regulate my gnrh my dhea certain sex hormones and that can drive gonadal dysfunction or hormone imbalance right whether i'm a man or a woman it can drive more infertility it can drive other conditions low testosterone for example if I have excess or overwhelming cortisol, it can contribute to further hormone imbalances like thyroid dysfunction. We don't, we don't transfer or convert our active thyroid hormones effectively because those are expensive. And I'm going to save that energy to, for fighting this lion. We talked about freeing that sugar up so I can have sugar available to fight the lion. But the problem is I'm never exercising. I'm doing all this stress on my computer, perhaps, right? I'm not utilizing that sugar. And then that increases fat storage as I spike up my insulin. And then it drives more insulin resistance. We also see that the more we do this, we're, fat, we're storing more fat, where we're going to drive more estrogen conversion in the periphery. And that leads to decreased testosterone in a man or other concerning hormonal imbalance in women. It also leads to more of that visceral fat, that muffin top, that metabolic syndrome that so many of us struggle with today that are kind of, a it's, it's a feature of almost all of these chronic conditions that we're facing. So the question we want to ask is, How could I nourish my soil a little bit more so that all the work that I am doing can flourish? And ask yourself with compassion, not with criticism is stress impairing your body's ability to receive all these glorious nutrients that are on your plate? And if it might be, what can I do about it? Well, let me ask you a trick question Does stress cause mental and physical disease? Hmm. Well, I, of course you say, of course it does. You just told us it did, but I did it. I said stress was associated with mental and physical disease. And so look at this picture. Are you seeing a vase or are you seeing two profiles looking at each other? Of course, they're both there, but your experience with this picture depends on what you perceive it to be. And that is true of stress, that stress doesn't cause disease, but your perception of the event can take that a step further. These women are both on the roller coaster of life. The woman on the right is having the time of her life. She's bathing her genes, her DNA, in serotonin, the happy neurotransmitter, in dopamine, in all of these things that are going to make her live better, possibly longer because of this experience. The woman on the left, however, not so much, right? She's having the same experience, but she might have a heart attack in the next frame. And the data suggests that this is true. In fact, um, studies have been shown on women who are mothers of children with chronic conditions, right? These children, day in, day out, facing a condition that, of course, as a mother is going to be stressful day in, day out, 24-7. But what the studies show was that not all of the women facing the same experience had the same adverse health outcomes. Not all of them had shortened telomeres reflecting kind of fraying of your DNA and an increased risk for DNA damage and more of these problems of condition and more rapid aging right? It was only those that perceived the event to be overwhelming. And again, that's what the stress suggests, that stress, that's what the data suggests, that stress is 10% what's happening and 90% my way of looking at what's happening. So can we possibly change our perception? If I have always been a cup half empty kind of girl and I come from a family of cup half empty kind of people, is it really possible that I can see this cup as half full? Well, in fact, the data suggests that it is. And one of my favorite ways to do that, there there is not just way in one way to do this, there's many ways to do this. But one of my favorite ways to talk about is a gratitude practice, a gratitude practice. And if you're not familiar of what that is, it could look a different way for you versus someone else, right? It could be just writing three things you're grateful for when you get up in the morning and then closing that out at night, maybe checking in with that at each meal, right? But it's taking the time to consciously, intentionally choose to give gratitude for something that you take for granted. And why would you do this? Well, the data suggests that this physically changes the neural structures of the brain and forces us to focus on more positive things, therefore squeezing out our ability to focus on toxic emotions. It drives more happiness and contentment. Not only that, it's been shown to improve sleep quality, blood pressure, cholesterol, and immune function. It reduces anxiety and depression, and it actually increases the likelihood of driving healthy behaviors. In effect, gratitude and a conscious, intentional gratitude practice can drive better resilience in our body. And if you're not familiar with the term resilience, this is basically the ability to be fluid around obstacles, to bend but not break right? Again, to how can we face that challenge, but be stronger as a result of that challenge? This is what we all want. And a gratitude practice can help us see things in a different way and thus not have such negative effects of stress that could potentially redirect our health track towards something more negative. So I ask you to truly think about what it could look like to you Right, maybe it's just holding your tea in the morning and just like, oh, I love that. It doesn't have to be deep. One of my favorite things to give gratitude for is to go on a walk first thing in the morning and crunch, especially in the fall right now, to crunch on a little acorn, crunch, you know, cap, and that just that feeling under your foot and that little, "Ah, I love that. That's so perky. I love that. It's amazing. So it doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be philosophical, and it does not have to be time consuming, but it does need to be intentional. So maybe you do a big hour-long gratitude meditation. That's amazing. Or maybe you only have five minutes before you get the kids to school and whatever. But do it and be intentional about it and check in throughout your day and see what happens in the way you look at your universe. And basically what this is asking is that we get a little bit of distance from our stressor. Because if our stressor is weighing us down, I assure you, it will always be ugly and it will always be crushing. But if we can take that stressor, whatever it is, and move it with some distance and start to see that it might just be kind of beautiful from the left. Right. And we can only see that if we get distance from whatever your stressor is, regardless of maybe it's the actual process of eating a healthy diet. Maybe that's your stressor or maybe it's work or maybe it's family or whoever, whatever it is, try to get distance from it. And with compassion and curiosity, not with criticism, start to notice what it could help you with. And I see people all the time that come into the office with a diagnosis that no one wants. But sometimes that is exactly what was needed for that person to truly begin living their life for the first time, to recognize what it is they truly value and they are truly grateful for and what gives them awe and beauty in their life. Sometimes it takes a major stressor to drop us to our knees and recognize that we have all the potential if only we see it as such. So get distance, get curious from whatever your stressor is. And let's say your stressor is, the diet itself. Oh my gosh. I don't even like to say the word diet, but yeah, I see patients a lot. They come in and they say, I am eating an SOS free whole food plant-based diet. And I'm just not getting the results. And then their next question is what else can I remove? And I want you to just take a minute if that's you. And if you feel like you're doing everything that you can do Just truly, too, yes, of course, be honest. We have to look at what we're eating with an honest, non-critical, but um, truly honest way. Oh, maybe I'm eating more oil or maybe I'm eating more processed foods than I thought. But I would ask you to reframe the question and maybe ask yourself, what would it take for me to feel nourished? So think about what that looks like for you. And of course, yes, check the nutrition. Chef AJ and all the wonderful guests she has on this show are wonderful resources to help you check your nutrition. Am I getting the colors of the rainbow on a bed of greens with a side of beans? And don't forget the whole grains. Am I getting the fiber and a balanced meal? And I'm eating it in a timing pattern that's serving me. All of these wonderful things are absolutely important. But ask yourself, do you feel nourished? And sometimes to do that, you need to open your vista. If we're constantly looking at this one little thing, the diet, the diet, the diet, the diet, but we're not looking at all the other things that are important to receive the nutrients, my well-being, my level of stress, all of these other things. And I need to open my Vista. And what that does is calms and brings into balance our parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're a person that, for example, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but you're constantly looking at a screen because you're doing all your work on your screen all day, get outside, look at a broad view and notice what it does to your parasympathetic nervous system. Because right now, all we're doing is pouncing on our prey and our sympathetic nervous systems like this. So broadening the view is massive. Get curious, not critical. And because I hear this so much, oh my gosh, you're doing such a great job on this is what I'll say. And they'll say, yeah, but I should do right? It's a very curious conversation, excuse me, very critical conversation. And I want you to just get a little curious to notice if that's a reflex for you. And then ask yourself, what's your end point? Is your end point a number on the scale or is your end point something that is being the finest version of yourself? Look at your perception. Am I looking at this? Is my focus on what I'm giving up or is it on what I'm gaining? And then look at your identity, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So speaking a little bit more about focus, yes, I so often hear people that say, what more can I take away? Well, that's really a focus on what we're giving up. I really want you to notice what you're gaining. Wow. If we talk about it, I do feel lighter. I feel better. I feel more energetic. I got on the floor with my grandkids. I haven't done that in years. I'm actually riding my bike again, right? I I can do lunges and my knee's not cracking and giving me grief. Right? What is it that you are gaining from the choices that you're making? And make sure you take the time to celebrate those choices rather than shooting on yourself all the time and think, yeah, but I need to do this. Because do you know what happens if we celebrate? If we take time and say, I have increased my vegetable servings by three since just a month ago, this is amazing. Take a time to notice that and feel what's, what success feels like in your body because that raises dopamine. And when you raise dopamine, it makes these choices not just enjoyable, but addictive. Because, yes, in fact, healthy living can be fun and it can be enjoyable. And you want to do more of it when you take the time to celebrate it. So ask yourself if you are celebrating. And if you're not, that's something you should start with today. And I don't know how long I've been talking, because as you could probably tell, I could talk the hand leg off a donkey, but are you sleeping? Because if you are sleeping I wouldn't criticize you, I can't see you, but if you are, I would say maybe that's just exactly what you need on your journey to vitality. And so let's talk about why sleep matters, because if you are not sleeping well or sufficiently, did you know that we tend to eat 300 to 500 more refined starch based calories, we eat more, and we eat worse. What we crave is worse. And there is an absolute dysregulation of hormones that lead to satiety or that should lead to satiety. When we don't sleep enough, we don't feel satisfied, right? And we will just tend to eat more even if we're not hungry. So it's no wonder that insufficient sleep doubles the likelihood of struggling with our weight. And in fact, it absolutely affects every one of those chronic diseases I mentioned before, and it drives hormonal imbalances to boot. And in fact, one study kit that came out of the Bay Area showed that if we sleep insufficiently one night, we're more likely, 30% more likely to feel anxious the following day. But in this, there is power. If we sleep and get good, deep, non-REM sleep, even in a nap, we can improve anxiety. Right, So this is absolutely an important piece to recognize on your journey to vitality, because if we are not sleeping well or effectively, we're less likely to fully engage and enjoy our life, and we're certainly less likely to reap the benefits of the behaviors that we're working so hard to do. So maybe your next step towards vitality is a sleep priority. Because I know very driven people, this is very hard. This is where I struggle absolutely the most. Half the time I'm writing a talk on sleep on my computer right before bed. Ah, This is horrible, right? So what can you do? Well, number one, schedule in enough time for sleep. This is so pivotal. More than 95% of adults require seven to nine hours of sleep in a day. It doesn't have to happen at one time. You can do it in a siesta and in a nighttime, whatever works for you. But make sure you're scheduling enough time, not just in bed, but asleep. The other kind of low-lying fruit that is one of my favorite things to mention is use your light to work for you. Sometimes it's hard to focus on that wind-down hour before bed. And yes, ideally, we wind down without blue light right before bed. We do something relaxing. We're not working right up until we give our brain the ability to transition into sleep. But sometimes it's easier to start with what we can do in the morning. And that is get outside first thing in the morning, within an hour of you wanting to be awake, try to get outside, try to get in nature in not just a window, but outside. Someone said, I heard an incredible talk that said there is no bad weather. There's only, only inappropriate clothing, <laughs> it a huge help for me because <laughs> I was a real pansy with, with cold weather, but that just hearing that helps me. So I hope it helps you too. It is not my quote. I can't remember the name of the amazing person. I think I think it was Dr. Melissa Sunderman who said it on my show. Oh, fantastic. Okay, very good. I, I heard whoever it was, it was a female doctor and that very well could have been her. And she was speaking at the ACLM conference like a year ago. But I love that. It helped me hugely <laughs> and, and get a coat. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, so use your light to work for you. And then let's kind of wind this down and we'll kind of talk about this major conversation that I see a lot of. Are you replacing your identity with a process? And so again, I have seen a lot of people that amazingly with power have replaced their identity of diagnosis, of of their diagnosis code, like diabetic towards marathon runner. Okay. Well, let's think about that because a marathon runner, that's amazing, right? Alcoholic to marathon runner. This is incredible, but is that an identity? What happens if you get injured or maybe we replaced our diabetic diagnosis with a whole food plant-based SOS free diet or dieter. That would be the noun, right? But is that an identity? And then we have to recognize, is your identity that you're claiming caging you in or is it helping you be free? And so this is where I would say, these things are amazing tools to fuel you with power. I run marathons, I'm training for marathons. I'm doing this exercise. I eat the most pristine SOS-free whole food plant-based nutrition. But that is not your identity. That is a process to get you to the finest version of yourself. And so how can we reframe that and really put in the in the end point? what matters most to you and the person you are striving to become, and use these tools to give you power, not to cage you in and should all over yourself. And so this is really the the take home is that we can find power through mindful and intentional choices. Ask yourself, what is your why plan? And if the food is controlling you, maybe before it was addictive food that was controlling you, is it now whole food plant-based SOS free that's controlling me? Right. What we want is to find ease and intention and joy and beauty in this wonderful nutrition plan that we've chosen because it does give us power. It absolutely redirects our health destiny and fights disease, but really look at it in a way that gives you joy. And and if you're not, how can we get there? So these are just a couple of suggestions. Can we get curious about why I'm eating? I'll shift criticism to intention. I want to be intentional. I want to shift this this automatic nature of criticizing these habits that I'm doing. And always ask if the behavior, whatever it is you're doing, is nourishing me to my finest self. That's how you find true reward. Is it getting me closer to that person I'm striving to become? And I'm going to wind this up now, because this is really one of my favorite, my favorite illusions, if you will, is to look at, and this is another person I heard, I can't remember who said this, but that literally it's been said that the walled garden, like the walled British garden is one of the most beautiful things that you can experience. And if you've ever been in one, it's Kind of true, right? But what I'd like to see is that we can create foundations, that we can create a wall that is not caging us in, but that's allowing us to thrive, that our garden can flourish. This quote from the secret garden I am sure there is magic in everything, only we have not sense enough to get hold of it and to make it do things for us. So the goals is that we can create these nudges from our environment to help us flourish, but not cage us in. So a few examples of that is. Okay, well, how can I make fewer decisions and just make them easy? You have, and Chef AJ is amazing at talking about this, have a fruit bowl on the counter, not a candy bowl. And then automatically I get better nutrition. I go and get the mail and I walk to get the mail after dinner and I might go on another little walk after. And what do I do? I use my sugar rather than mounting it and mounting my insulin and I'm improving my insulin resistance. Maybe I practice gratitude before each meal and it sets up that parasympathetic nervous system so I can start receiving these beautiful colored nutrients all over my plate. And maybe I start my morning routine in nature unplugged and I just do that for even five minutes and that's going to help improve my circadian rhythm, improve my sleep, reduce my stress and improve my connection with nature that actually helps me feel more connected and less lonely. So ask yourself what you're ready to do. And when you decide what you're ready to do, then connect it to the we. Sivananda said to transform illness to wellness, we've got to shift away from the I and grow towards the we, away from the sense of isolation to a sense of belonging. So if you feel isolated in your journey, then where can you connect? Because meals should unite us. They shouldn't isolate us. So connect to your whole food plant-based community. Connect to people around healthy behaviors, go to a yoga studio, go on a hike or a hiking group, whatever you can do to feel connected in your life so that we can be a community of authentic best selves, striving towards purpose. That in that journey, we find beauty, awe, joy, laughter, and meaning because if it doesn't connect you closer to what matters most, why do it? And so this is all I have. And I so appreciate your time. I just want to close with this quote. And I will stay as long as you have questions. But by William James, the greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes of mind. And I hope that someone has gotten something from this that they can take with and and progress their journey towards their best self. Wow. If you're this
0: passionate about your patients as you are your presentation, I bet you're a fabulous doctor.
1: Well, it's so powerful. It's you know, it's so it's so wonderful to see patients get better. Nothing like it.
0: <laughs> you know, I want to just read you something. Somebody sent in a comment for you and uh, unsolicited. Her name is Karen. And she said, I had a telehealth visit with Dr. Bazzoni and it was amazing. She tied things together from the lab results I submitted that my local PCP did not mention and provided me with a lot of information that has enhanced my plant-based health journey. If you're plant-based, a visit with her or another lifestyle medicine physician is worth every penny. Karen.
1: Thank you, Karen.
0: Isn't that nice? Awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so we did have a a few questions that came in in advance and I will read them to you. And then if there's questions in the chat, we'll get to those next. So this one is from Judy. And this is controversial because it's about vaccines and there's going to be some doctors on this show that say one thing and some that might say another, but she said, what are your recommendations for getting the new COVID vaccine for this year? I'm 69 SOS free for about two years without any chronic cardiovascular or infectious diseases, but I am underweight due to some GI issues. I work part-time for a healthcare system and the employer is recommending all employees receive the latest vaccine, which I have concerns about. I Initial vaccines and a booster after having COVID, and I didn't have any major issues with those vaccines, just the usual minor side effects. But I'm not comfortable with the newer versions of the MNRA vaccines. You know, I just want to say I was just a true north, and there are so many people that are suffering from I think they call it post vaccine syndrome. I mean, I mean, not just one or two, like lots, and they're really, really sick. But to each his own, I'll let you answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that is a very Yes, controversial, controversial thing. And to tell you the truth, so I am not opposed to all vaccines. Um, I personally haven't felt that in let me first say that this is not where I spend a lot of time. I'm not in primary care. I don't house these vaccines. I don't administer these vaccines. This is not, I would say, in my lane of what I'm doing every day. So I would really talk to someone that's giving these all the time and 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 utilizing them, et cetera. Um, but I will give you an honest, my honest answer, and that is that I haven't seen that the data on the COVID vaccines has really made, uh, particularly currently, and you know this applies differently to maybe the strains that were out previously, but I haven't been moved to get it myself, I'll say. Um, and I think that what's really important with everything is to truly focus on how you can boost your immune system, your gut health, everything that you can do in your lifestyle to reduce the complications of whether it's the vaccine or the infection that you get. So I'm going to stay a little bit vague on that, but, but you need to make your own decision, but regardless of where you are, Um, all of these things apply, right? We will not mount as good of a a result to a vaccine if we go underslept, if we go overstressed, all of these things, if our gut health is not good, if we're not nourished. And so whatever your decision becomes, which should be personalized for you, um, the lifestyle really trumps all um, in terms of boosting your immune system and reducing complications as well.
0: Thank you very much. And this is from anonymous. Do you have any experience with weight loss in those that have PCOS? Is there any truth to those with PCOS having a lower basal metabolic rate, which requires them to have a lower caloric range to lose weight? Or what do you recommend? Mm,
1: great question. And PCOS is such a powerful diagnosis. It's it, it in terms of, and I it it's one of my favorite diagnoses actually to work with um, because just driving that power. And I haven't felt in the in the PCOS. A patients that I've worked with, as long as we address what's truly driving insulin resistance, right? The foundation of PCOS, insulin resistance, inflammation, and hormone imbalance. And so, so in that cascade, as long as we manage it in the sense of addressing insulin resistance, shifting away from the saturated fat, away from the processed foods, refined sugars, and really fueling fiber, at least 50 grams of fiber a day, so pivotal for that. And then working with the hormonal balance and sleep is really pivotal. Sleep and stress are pivotal if we're going to address, hormonal balance and reducing inflammation, which really the best way to do that is through a very clean whole food plant-based diet, um, but adding in things like turmeric and ginger and so on. And I haven't felt if people really go for that holistic pathway, that, that it's, it's been significantly different working with PCOS um, patients as compared to other um, chronic conditions or other diagnoses or working with other people. It's always individual. And that can be frustrating. I know particularly if you're doing this journey with like a male counterpart and you're like, why have you just lost 30 pounds? And I have only lost two, (laughs) but, but that being said, just to know that, that everything needs to be individualized. I don't, I don't believe that PCOS um, requires a, 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 different approach than, than really any of your insulin resistant conditions. Great. Thank you. And let's see if there's any questions
0: in the chat. Um, Okay. There is a study that negatively associates uptake of levothyroxine with high fiber diets. Do you have any
1: thoughts? Hmm. Interesting. Well, I would love to see that study because I have, I'm not familiar with that study, but it's, Interesting. I have never seen really anything negative about high fiber diets. If anything, what we have to recognize is, particularly when we talk about why would you take levothyroxine? This is a thyroid medication. Uh, one of the highest rates of of uh, or causes of thyroid dysregulation or hypothyroidism. Uh, why we would give you levothyroxine would be Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune condition. But some people don't have an autoimmune cause of that. But but balancing your gut and healing your gut your gut is pivotal for addressing thyroid function. Now you might never get off of thyroid medication. I've seen people do it. I've seen people reduce their doses. Um, it, it, but that being said, having a healthy gut and how do we drive a healthy gut? It's through diverse fiber sources. And so, so I would have to question, I don't know what was going on in the article. Feel free to send it to me and I would look at it to, to kind of see what that meant. But, but because the gut health is so important in all of our hormone balances and we know we want at least 30 species of fiber rich whole plants a week to, to, to fuel a healthy microbiome to it, to improve the health of the gut and improve the immune system, which is over 80% residing in the gut. Um, that I, I would, I would not be afraid of fiber.
0: <laughs> I'll leave <laughs> Thanks. I, I recently did a short water fast at True North and was able to cut my dose in half. I don't know if it'll be forever. I'll have to test in another, you know, few weeks, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Colleen oh, says, could you please tell everyone what seven seven states you can accept patients in?
1: Oh, yes, I can. And let's hope I remember them all. I did put them on this thing to make sure I remember. So Tennessee, which is where I am, Georgia, Connecticut, Virginia, Alaska, and Pennsylvania. No, oh who did I miss? Pennsylvania, Virginia. Did I say Virginia? Hold on. Alaska, Connecticut, Virginia, Georgia, North, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. There we go.
0: That's fantastic.
1: What what's heart and soul? What is heart and soul? Oh well, is that Colleen? <laughs> heart that's and me. Soul. No, that's me asking because you put it in your bio. Oh, I did. Oh, yes. Okay, so there is this um, project <laughs> called the, C- the Ceres Project, C E R E S, and it was really one of the first ways that I saw the truths of lifestyle medicine before my eyes. And what it does is it teaches teens to cook healthy food. Then they grow the food, they um, they cook the food, and then the meals are sent to patients that that come from a, a physician referral. So I referred patients in. Originally, it was a cancer uh, program, and so I had a patient with pancreatic cancer. That she was given three months to live and she was over double that and, and I said, wow, you you really are looking great. And by the way, she was eating so much cleaner. Her, her diabetes was in so much better control. And she said, this program is the reason why I'm still alive. And, and this was before I'd been to, you know, I, I'd really known anything about lifestyle medicine. And I was like, you know, I bet you're right. And I started looking into that. And so we just recently started this program. Originally it was for cancer patients. Um, then, then, um, it's been taken to, um, heart failure patients and and partly as a result of this project and many other people this is why Medically tailored meals are covered throughout the state of California for heart failure for Medicare and Medicaid, which is a a really um, amazing initiative. And it's and and hopefully we'll get to the place where we recognize and 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 uh, really cover medically tailored meals as part of our treatment plan with the very clear recognition that that your diet really dictates your health to such a large degree. But that being said, so heart and soul is a version that we just started this last year. In Tennessee, our version is completely whole food plant-based. The the original version is not, uh, but it's very, very plant strong. Um, Ours is whole food plant-based and it's El Sol food. So it's really geared towards Latino and African-American flavors. And we have just completed, and we're now on our second pilot of heart failure patients that get referred from an amazing preventive cardiologist who's also whole food plant-based here in town. And it's just been amazing because we're creating really the community, the education, and also educating teens on why food is so important in the process um, and they get each of the patients gets 12 weeks of meals um, and education as they go through the project so I know there's a lot of moving parts there the the meals are delivered by delivery angels who are community volunteers and so it ties in so many people um, around this amazing thing that is food is medicine so that's what heart and soul is and I'm very excited about it everyone should should start this <laughs> that's fantastic <You> theoryproject.org. <laughs>
0: Man, thank you. This has just been delightful. Thank you so much for what you do and for your passion for it. And thank I hope, you. I hope to meet you next year at the Plantrition Conference at the yes. Love Life Telehealth Table.
1: Yes, me too. Indeed, I do. And thank you so much, AJ. You are incredible and and such a big fan. So I really, really am honored to be on your show. Thank you. And I look forward either to a frozen product
0: in stores or a restaurant called Bazoni's Calzoni. <laughs>
1: I'll work on
0: it. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, you know, I forgot to ask you the question that everybody wants to know from every guest. What do you eat in a day?
1: What do I eat a day? My oh man, my favorite breakfast, my favorite way to start the day is this ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous, but I love it. I make a salad dressing that is it's, it's, I go like this with the ground flax, but it's probably at least 30 grams, two and a half tablespoons of ground flax. I put turmeric in it. I put um, nutritional yeast because I love it. I I put chipotle seasoning and black pepper to activate my turmeric, of course. And then I'll mix that with, um, with sauerkraut and a little bit of the juice from sauerkraut, a little bit of tahini to make it a little bit creamy and some water until it becomes a thick salad dressing. And then I toss in about a half a container of arugula, or I'm growing arugula right now. So I try to get my own if I can and I'll throw in broccoli sprouts and I'll throw in sometimes frozen cherries or sometimes I'll have it savory with beans. And that is my breakfast. And that lasts me for a good four to six hours. And it's just the best thing ever. And um, and then sometimes I'll have like a little bit of a oatmeal-ish kind of, i put a little bit of, of almond uh, butter and some hemp hearts and some oats and some fresh ginger that I grate in there and maybe some cardamom and frozen blueberries. And, and then I have some kind of bean a green and a grain for dinner that can look a lot of different ways. Personally, I'm a big fan of curries and, and rockin' foods these days, but we do a lot of beans. <laughs> we eat a lot of beans and there's a lot of tofu in there too. That's
0: fantastic.
1: You're a good cook? You know, my husband is actually a really good cook. I am very good at getting nutrients on the table, but he's a little better at making it taste good. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to help you make your food taste good because you'll be getting two free bottles of California balsamic just for being on the show. (laughs) Thank you, Doc. Thank you so much, Dr. Bazzoni.
1: Thank
0: you, Chef AJ. We love you. Take care. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. I do hope you'll come back at 9 a.m. tomorrow for my 1700th, yes, 1700th episode of Chef AJ Live with Dr. Columbus Batiste. Take care, everyone. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.